Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me is John Schwartz. Hi, Hillary. Aren't you in Europe now? Um, no, actually, this I, I'm just back from Europe. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> I could I could call in from Europe, maybe. This reminds me of the SNL skit when uh, Dana Carvey, as Tom Brokaw, is trying to pre-record everything that might happen <laughs> when he goes on vacation. So all these things we're talking about right now, you know, these, these are the ones we're including after yeah. the fact. We're not including the ones of, you know, Aaron Boone was mauled by zebras. <laughs> Keep that in mind, folks. Yeah. And also joining us, Thomas Golianopoulos. Hi, Thomas. Hello. How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm just trying to figure out if Europe is code for something. No, no, no. I'm actually going to Europe. I will not be here. Try not to miss me too much while I'm gone. What could Europe be code for? Uh, let's not. Do you want to get you into know, that? Let's just not. Let's just let's not. not. Let's okay. not do that right now. Yankees. <laughs> uh, okay. So in the August issue of Yankees Magazine on sale now, we have a very cool Q&A with manager Aaron Boone Thomas. You conducted that interview. How did it go? It went well. Uh, I caught him um, the day after. I think you were waiting for a different question there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How was your lunch? How was... <laughs> Delicious. Um, I caught him the day after the Yankees had a tough loss against the Atlanta Braves last month. Mm-hmm. It was actually game 82. And um, he was actually in a decent mood considering that the Yankees went 0 for 12 with runners on base in that game. But um, we talked about the first half of, his, of the season. So it was a combination of lighthearted uh, stuff such as his Twitter habits and um, his propensity to watch friends, uh, his habit, his friend's habit. He and I watch, share that habit. He watches friends every night before he goes to bed. That's how he gets over, uh, that's how he celebrates uh, big wins and gets over tough losses. I noticed in your Q&A you did not ask him if Ross and Rachel were on a break. Did you, was that just not included in the edited version? You know, I only saw one episode of Friends, and oh it was the final God. episode. I thought you were going to say that when you asked the question, he just started throwing around expletives so much <laughs> that you just, it, it, it couldn't go in. No. No. <laughs> no. I, have, I, have, I don't know anything about Friends. The funny thing is you're looking right, as, as I say that, I'm looking at the picture of Boone with just the goofiest smile right now. Uh, <laughs> kind of appropriate, I guess. For but I feel like this was the first Aaron Boone interview ever where he wasn't asked about Game 7 at 2003 ALCS. It was mentioned, but he it didn't ask about it. was mentioned, but I didn't it. ask a question about it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. what was, so what were your thoughts going into this Q&A? What did you want to find out from Boone? And, and you know, what did you find out? Well, I was curious about uh, the way he handles the day-to-days. Like, the, the, the stuff that I found the most interesting was him talking about how, um, him discussing how he schedules off days for his stars like Judge and Didi and Stanton, how he'll usually give a heads up to Stanton the day before he plays the outfield. Mm -hmm. Again, this interview was conducted in July prior to Aaron Judge's injury. So he would tell him usually the night before, like, hey, you're playing right field today. And um, the way he he goes about scheduling off days with his, or telling his regulars about off days is he'll just go up to them and be like, hey, I got a day on my board for you. And then they'll kind of work it out. But well, that's, that, that's one thing I thought was interesting, that it's not just saying, hey, I've got a day on my board for you, and it's Tuesday. It's, mm-hmm. hey, I know you need a day off coming up, but let's talk about the day that you think mm-hmm. is bad. And, and that's not to say he gives over control of right. when judges No, but he's inclusive, yeah. which is interesting. And the answer that I found the most interesting, actually, in the piece was when I asked him, what uh, aspect of the team does he spend the, his most time worrying about? And right away he kind of answered uh, it was the bullpen. Although he said worry is not the right word. It's the aspect of the team that he most considers. But he mentioned how he's constantly aware of when they last pitched, how many pitches, the stress of the pitches, all those things. It's funny. I, I, I've spent the last few days now researching a story that is going to come out soon enough on the Yankees' bullpen and the construction of the bullpen. And honestly, I don't know how anybody manages a bullpen, let alone somebody who, at the time of this interview, was literally a half season plus one game into his <laughs> managerial tenure, who had never been a pitcher, so he did not he had any experience on that side either. It's fascinating to me, actually, how well it seems the bullpen is being used for the most part, just because I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you learn that skill, whether it's just about leaning on the guys around you or if it's just a, a, enough time in the game and watching enough baseball that you know, okay, now this is what I want to do here and this is what I want to do here. But, I mean, I'm sure this is something we'll discuss next month, but the role of the bullpen has changed so much, not just from, like, you know, Boone's playing days, which ended 10 years ago, but from even five years ago. Like, I asked him, you know, if 
you know, he you know, ever feels like he sounds like one of his old managers or if he got anything from his old managers or whatever. And it's like, he can't really ask Jack McKean about, you know, how he managed the bullpen. He can't really ask his dad about that because the role of the bullpen has changed so much since... They have nothing in common. They have nothing, yeah. That's it. Was there anything that was left out of the magazine that you can talk about, Thomas? There wasn't really... Well, when... He mentioned in the interview that um, about how the way he talks to players and he'll send texts and mm-hmm. sometimes he'll just talk about things that don't have to do with baseball. And he mentioned, you know, or we'll talk about LeBron James signing with the Lakers. And, um, you know, at the end of our interview, as I was walking out of his office, I asked if he had any opinion on it. <laughs> and he was like, nah, man. <laughs> what was his overall just demeanor? Like, what was it like to sit with him? How comfortable was he? How comfortable were you? Like, what was the environment like? Did it feel like this guy seems chill and happy and, and enjoying himself? Chill and happy are probably the two adjectives I would use to describe Aaron Boone as for, you know, as someone who has interviewed him now like two or three times, um, he's very welcoming. He answers your questions. You know, sometimes like with a lot of managers, um, they'll almost filibuster a bit and you kind of have to like push them and prod them to get to them to answer the question that you want them to. But um, just a very calm demeanor and, and very thoughtful too. Like sometimes he would answer questions immediately and then there were one or two things that he actually had to like stop and think about. And, um, you know, you appreciate that as in an interview where someone isn't just spouting cliches. Yeah, the rote answers yeah. that you usually get. I found it really, I've so far found it really interesting to watch over the course of this season, just, you know, the way he's learned on the job, but, which obviously, and I don't mean that in any way as a knock. I mean, of course he's learning on the job. He's new to the job. I think he'd be the first to admit that. But, you know, watching him in Tampa during spring training, going to Toronto to see those first few games, you know, there, there are little things that you can see that he's already getting a lot better at. In the beginning, there were just a lot of questions that people would ask him and he would like, you know, turn to Jason Zillow and mm-hmm. ask him what his impression for the answer. Right. And like, I think he learned pretty quickly that like, you know, get the answer first before you go into the room. And, and that's a basic thing, but mm-hmm. like, you can really see that if you ask him at this point about, you know, something, you know, an injury or a rehab situation like that, he's coming into that room with an answer right, he's as prepared, opposed. Yeah. You know, there's no more asking Jason. You know, Jason, you know, like which wrist was it or right. which what's hip the or, status of this guy's minor league, right. whatever. So you're seeing that stuff, but you're also there's also funny things like if you watch before he meets the media um, every afternoon, he does his little radio. Um, hit with Susan Waldman mm-hmm. and every day he walks into the clubhouse and does this weird thing where he just he, like stands there and flexes, flexes his muscles I asked one of our media relations crew about that I was like what is that and she was like I have no idea yeah, it's he bizarre. just started doing it and he has not stopped and, and that's how he that's how he summons <laughs> Susan I guess mm-hmm. and then you know when the media hit does, or when the press conference does come he sits down every single time the first thing is just good day or I say good day uh, every single time and everyone laughs and I, I've said a million times in this podcast that maybe I'm a bit of an apologist for Joe Girardi. I really liked Joe Girardi and liked his personality more than I think a lot of people. But, you know, it, you, you wouldn't have seen Joe Girardi sit down and immediately with a goofy joke every time. Like, I mean, that was a little different than what this team had. Yeah. So it, it is interesting to me. Obviously, you know, he showed up very comfortable in his skin in a lot of ways. He knew almost the entire beat that mm-hmm. was covering the team. I mean, a lot of them covered him when he was a player or knew him from ESPN. Um, so he, there was a level of comfort that he had with them, but I feel like I'm watching him come into comfort in his job as a manager, too, and I think that's interesting. Um, one last thing about interviewing him, like, he was wearing shorts and long Yankee socks, and I couldn't help but, like, look at his knee and that giant scar, and I was like, <laughs> the scar that led to A-Rod. <laughs> <laughs> She got a tattoo of a basketball on it. Yeah, oh my God, that'd be so funny. I wonder if he still plays basketball. Probably not. You should have asked him. I should have asked. It is pretty interesting. You know, we'll make no secret that we're recording this, you know, the first week of August right now. Mm -hmm. This is definitely the toughest moment of his time as a manager so far. This this moment basically today. Yes. You know, the team beat, just to give a little context of where we are, the team beat the White Sox last night. Having come off a four-game sweep. Right, and a five-game losing streak. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I mean, the last game of that losing streak was really just one that you know you're never going to forget about, but you want to forget about immediately. A lot of of episodes of Friends. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just very, you know, interested to see what we see of him in the next week. I think this is a big week. I think that maybe by the time you're listening to this, the Yankees have won 12 in a row and the Red Sox have lost 12 in a row and all of a sudden the Yankees are in first place. But I think it's more likely that 
the team's division hopes probably ended last weekend. Um, so, you know, now he has to manage because it's it's almost there's almost questions of how do you approach this situation right now? Like, do you give up on the division race and try to solidify the wild card race while also knowing that you have a cushion? Like, do you appreciate the cushion you have in the wild card race as opposed to the deficit you're trying to overcome in the division race? And there are going to be decisions that have to be made. They're going to have to be, you know, obviously right now the team's not healthy, so you're not thinking about too much about giving days off to people like Aaron Judge and Gary right. Sanchez because they're not in there. But when September rolls around, what is the level of push going to be like? What are you trying? Are you going to be focused on the division race? Or are you going to be focused on the wild card? And I think there's going to be a lot of, for a first year manager, a lot of interesting calls that he has to make on a day-to-day basis about what the team's actual goal and perspective is on getting ready for October. From talking to him, Thomas, you talked to him a little bit about the team struggle coming out of the gate and whether or not he was worried about that. And it's easy to look back on that now and be like, no, I mean, it was April. It's doesn't matter did he seem like a guy and you said he's cool he's calm when talking to him about those struggles how how did he react to those questions he's uh i guess you would say he's a glass half full kind of guy Mm -hmm. he was like well we're nine and nine and we're weathering the storm right now he looked at it as like oh wow we got into this you know mediocre start and and we're already falling behind the division he looked at it as like wow we had a few tough breaks and we're still in there i think he's probably even as tough as it was coming out of that Boston series, I think he's still trying to be positive or at least maintain that that image with the team. I, I mean, I think the thing that a lot of people forget about this team in particular is that you know everybody always thinks of the big bad Yankees, you know, the payroll. But this is a very young team. I mean, that you have Gardner and Sabathia and and David Robertson, and um, I mean, aside from that, like the team is really young, and it's going to be interesting to see how he pulls them together. Like this isn't like you know the Yankees from 10 years ago where they had they were chock full of like all the veterans like this is a young clubhouse and there's a team that still find themselves and a lot of the players are finding out who they are as players still like I mean guys like Gleyber Torres and Miguel Andujar have you know been up here they've played like 75 games and they're in a pennant race right now and every single little mistake they make is under the microscope of playing in New York and playing in a pennant race so I think it'll be really interesting to see how Boone and how the team comes together, considering that they are so young. I mean, I think the other thing that just needs to be pointed out, and I don't say this as an apologist or anything, but I think the other thing that's forgotten a lot of times is that, I mean, I might, my number might be a little bit wrong here, but even when they came off that five-game losing streak, there were, what, 26 games over 500? I mean, this is a team that, you know... Still had, like, the second or third best record in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, this the darkest moment that this team had all year had them still essentially on what a 94 win pace i think something like that mm-hmm. um you expect that over the course of the remaining however many weeks of the season the team's going to play better than 500 ball because it's better than a 500 team this is a very 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 successful year thus far this was a bad week um you know when everyone even before that week when everyone was kind of like you know man the sky is falling and this and that first off i would say no one was really talking about some pretty significant injuries the team was dealing with and had been dealing with over the course of really six weeks up to that point um, when you first lost Sanchez and Torres and then Judge and then Sanchez or reverse that order but you know I, I just I just think that there needs to be something said for the fact that that 9-9 nine, nine start you know even if you want to eliminate that you can even see a little bit more of just how a incredible this run has been this year there was obviously going to be a hiccup like this i mean you know you don't have to look back far you just have to look back to the dodgers last year and look at the run they were on and then you know they crashed in september because of course they're going to because no one's going to remain on 120 win pace it's just not 162 game schedule it's six months things happen like this is this is a normal blip in the course of a season but the Dodgers made the World Series last year and right. came within a game of winning the World Series I mean and, and and the Yankees you know they came within a game of making the World Series there are times when you forget just how crazy it can be when things aren't going great for the Yankees because for so much of the last two years things have been going great for the Yankees or and then in the year before that even when they weren't going great for the Yankees it was they turned that not greatness into Clint Frazier and Clay mm-hmm. Torres and things like that so it, it was a wash almost but this was a bad week. Yeah. This was not a bad season. Yeah. I know. I remember um, when I was a kid with the, I wasn't really a kid, but I was more of a teenager with the 98 Yankees. I remember a friend of mine told me, you know, enjoy this season because these seasons aren't going to 
they don't come around all the time. Even though they won the World Series, you know, that was the first of three consecutive World Series. Like a season like that, or like a season like the Dodgers had last year, which didn't end in the World Series, a season that the Red Sox are having right now, those are, you know, the exception to the norm. Like teams don't win 115 games or go on those paces. So yeah, I think the Red Sox are on a 113 win pace mm-hmm. right now. I mean, first off, I don't think that's going to happen. But if it does, that's amazing. Like you can't. It's an incredible like, baseball team. Yeah, for sure. The Yankees have the Yankees, like I said, are, like are twenty seven games over five hundred right now, and are what nine games back right. of first place. I mean, that just tells you what kind of year they're what, kind of, what they're facing right now. Right. It's uh, any I, other division, any other you know league, whatever. This is a this is an amazing team. It's done incredible things so far. Victim of circumstance right now. Yeah, and again, I, I just want to repeat, I'm not saying this as an apologist, and I'm certainly not a think a homer but you know it goes to i've been saying a lot maybe not maybe i shouldn't say this but i thought there was some question about you know when you take a job where you're replacing a guy who you know was not retained after getting to game seven of the alcs you have to wonder like man if game seven of the alcs wasn't good enough you know what do i have to do in this job and i think you're seeing that kind of like right now in this week you know everything's great when the team is hitting you know, homers and everyone's Five winning. Homers and, a game, yeah. Yeah, and obviously the team has a bullpen that, you know, could scare any other team, even if the starters right now aren't really delivering. But the fact, you know, you get this sense that the starter gives you four innings and if the team puts up four runs, the Yankees are going to win. But it's a tough it's tough to manage in New York, and it looked pretty easy for a little bit. And he was doing a really great job, and everyone was thrilled. And I don't think that Aaron Boone has done anything differently that caused a pitch to come up and in and hit Aaron Judge in the wrist yeah. or caused anything to happen to Gary Sanchez's groin. But, you know, it, it's not so easy to manage when the team's not winning. And it maybe looked a little bit easier than it actually was when the team was winning. It's crazy when you think of, like, there was a flurry of moves last offseason, then you look at the first-year managers and you see what Cora is doing in Boston. But then you look, you know, you go down the corridor and you see what's happening in Washington with Martinez. And, I mean, he was replacing Dusty Baker, who, you know, granted he never won a World Series, but, you know, all he did was win 95 games and get to the playoffs every season. And, you know, they're treading water at 500, you know, looking up at two teams who are probably even younger than the Yankees, the Phillies and, and the Braves. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I, you know, I obviously think and expect and like having Aaron Boone around. I think he's going to be around for a little while. I think he's a seems that he has the clubhouse and he seems like a good guy for this. I'm excited to see the next few years of Boone versus Cora because those two <laughs> seem to have uh, they seem to bring out the best in each other in some yeah, ways. For sure, it's good, and um, I think it's exciting. It's so I was excited when they brought Boone in thought it was going to be an interesting year and it has been so far and I thought you did a, a good job of giving us a little bit of an inside scoop into him Thomas so Thank you. thanks thanks for the interview Thank you. all right so coming up you will hear a little bit from Boone himself from Thomas's interview and then right after that we'll talk a little bit about our stellar bullpen we've been kind of discussing and uh, one of the guys in it Tom Batances so stick around At the midpoint of the season, after an intense series with Boston and the Bronx, associate editor Thomas Golianopoulos sat with manager Aaron Boone to debrief about the first 81 games. They talked about how he's learning on the job and a bit about Boone's personal journey as a baseball lifer, an open-heart surgery survivor, and a sitcom lover. Here's a bit of their conversation. I was wondering if, is there one game that kind of either good or bad, like you carried into the next day, really? Like you couldn't stop thinking about it. I don't know. I mean, I would say the last two, the last three nights. Right. But I'm probably saying that just because they're so fresh in my mind. (laughs) You know, we lost the middle game big to Boston. It was just, even though in some ways, like getting your butt kicked, you know, it's not losing a close game. Mm -hmm. It's easy to turn the page. But then the next day, you know, you have a huge win. And you're trying to, you know, kind of have some balance in your bullpen and stuff yeah. and having to use guys that you don't feel good using in that game because they haven't pitched in a while. And then last night, you know, just having opportunities, not being able to punch through, you know, get a great performance, but use up all your bullpen. Mm-hmm. So so they all. How do you unwind after a game like last night? I got home last night about 1230. Um I don't know. I, I'll Seinfeld, the beer. <laughs> like, yeah, I, uh, you know. Sometimes last night I just last night I went to bed pretty quick actually, and I a lot of times I'll go back and watch maybe a clip of our game okay. or uh, a couple of our guys in their post game interviews, okay. or if I want to see a 
picture if I want to see something that happened in the game, I'll go back and see a play or see something that came up. And then when I when I get in bed, I use I turn on Friends. That it it just it puts me to sleep. So whatever I do post game, as far as you know, whatever mm-hmm. we have to do yeah. internally, business wise, and then going home and you know I I like watching highlights and highlights of our game and whatever. When I settle in to go to bed, I turn on Friends, and Funny. it usually puts me right to sleep. When you got hired, I remember you talking about um, how you missed the competitiveness and all that and the stakes mm-hmm. of each game. Now, especially after a series like this weekend, how does it compare uh, to when you were playing, like being involved in big games like yeah. this? And has it satisfied? Has it been everything yeah. you thought it would um, be, really? Yeah, it's been awesome. The, the competition part of it, the game... You know, when we get to 7 o'clock and now the game's happening, it's, I love it. I love being in it. It's different than playing, mm-hmm. no question about it. Did you get nervous when you played? Sure. Before games? Sure. You know what, and I I have a time of the day, like, usually, like, so when we're at home, after our batting practice, mm-hmm. that hour leading up to the right. game, as a player and as a manager, it was just an uneasy time. It's like, once the game started, now it was, right. whatever competition playing mm-hmm. um, but that hour leading up I'm always a little antsy now I knew you knew going in like having been around baseball and having played that this was you know a tough job really but is there something that's like kind of snuck up on you or is there something that you've discovered to be more difficult than you had imagined coming into it you know I think I think sometimes the hardest part is when you're you know especially with our club where we've had to deliver some tough news or send the guy out you know, and in a lot of ways that doesn't deserve to go out or, right. you know, like we know is a big league player and or that's really contributed to our club, that's tough. That's it's not fun given that news. I don't know if anything's really snuck up on me. It's all new to me, obviously, but I don't feel like I've been overwhelmed. And part of that is the room in there, the guys. My coaching staff is, I think they're so good at what they do, so I don't feel like I have to hover on them or micromanage anything. So nothing's been too... I don't feel like I've been overwhelmed necessarily. What aspect of the game or what aspect of the team do you spend your most time like thinking about or worrying about or like where you guys are? Probably the bullpen, you know, and, and just protecting them as best you can, giving them the right amount of usage. I would say that's what I, you know, think probably... I don't know, worry is the right word, but I consider you dwell all on. the time, <laughs> constantly aware of when they pitched, how many pitches, right. how, how much they've pitched in the last week, all those kind of things. It's probably what I consider the most and think mm-hmm. about the most. And then, you know, keeping our guys, our, our regular players fresh too. When is the right time to give a guy a day or, okay. you know, or do you just push through certain things? So. Right. Kind of finding that balance and that rhythm, I guess. Okay. Uh, you mentioned how the guys in there kind of make the job a little easier. Now, when you're again, when you're hired, like a lot was said about you know clubhouse chemistry and about being able to relate to young players. And I was just curious, like, like what steps you've taken to almost build relationships with the guys. Like, do you got do you are you on like group text with certain guys? Like, do you have like one on one time right. with certain people? Well, it started this winter. You know, when I got the job, one of the things I did was reach out in some way, shape, or form to just about every guy via text, phone call. Mm-hmm. So, you know, started kind of the relationship process, I guess you say. And I try and in some way check in with guys, you know, all the time. Just little, how you doing today? What's going on? Anything from small talk to how you feeling today? Right. Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Maybe a day and a couple, you know. I try and check in and touch guys and from everything from baseball specific mm-hmm. things that we're talking about or you know LeBron James signing with the Lakers maybe a conversation we have you mentioned talking about the day off do guys like knowing like a day in advance or a week in advance that they're scheduled for like a, a regular like a judge or like you know, you know like a Stanton or so, Gardner you know, or something sometimes you know with 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 the guys like that like Dee and Judgy and Stanton, regulars yeah I'll I'll kind of you know a lot of times I'll go to them I'll be like a day is on my board you okay. know, like so I make them part of the process too mm-hmm. you know as far as hey I'm thinking you know there's a day off Monday mm-hmm. maybe tying a day off into that off day either on the back side or the front mm-hmm. side and so that's something I try and 
I try and stay ahead of. Okay. And, and I try and give guys a heads up that, you know, hey, you're in okay. here tomorrow. Or usually I'll uh, tell Giancarlo the night before. Okay. I usually give him a heads up. Hey, you're in left today. You're in okay. right. If he's not DHing. Okay. Now, how about, um, I mean, you were away from the game, but you weren't away from the game. You were, you know, on ESPN. Really. Like, in what ways do you think have, uh, have players changed, really, um, either like behaviorally or just like the way they are like since when you were in a locker room every day well, you know i mean it's a, it's a different world you know social media has changed that and i think in a lot of ways there's less privacy when you're a public figure like these right. guys are so I, you know i think that's probably okay. changed a little bit but you know guys are guys yeah. and players are players and I, you know now, you know, you've been in the jo- at the job now for like eight months or so. Um, has there been a time when like you said something to someone or you did something in a game or whatever and you're like, you thought back to one of your own managers, like your dad or like Jack McKean or like even, you know, got Eric Wedge or Corey, like mm-hmm. have you caught yourself yet? Any, um, no. Nah? No. I mean, I'm, I'm sure... You know, because in some ways I'm I'm probably somewhat of a product of all those guys you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I've taken something from each of them in some way, shape, or form. But there's nothing that I remember specifically like, oh, that's, you know, like so-and-so. Do you talk to your dad a lot about the job? Really? The way I've, I kind of always answer that question is, I don't know if we talk so much about the job, but he's probably been the biggest influence in my life and certainly in my baseball life. Mm-hmm. And... I'm 45 now, and the way I put it is, we've been having an ongoing talk about baseball. It's the family business right. for my entire life, mm-hmm. and nothing's really changed there. You know, it, it's not like he's giving me specific advice yeah. on certain things. We just kind of talk the game. That's a natural go-to conversation right. for us. But I don't think it's really changed that much, frankly, since since the job. In what ways do you think you've improved at the job, or? have like grown into the job since April, since the game started? I think just probably the communication lines and how we do it with with my coaches and how we talk out loud to each other during the game and how we kind of the flow of how we talk through things, I think has probably improved and something that I feel like is the thing we need to continue to get even better at. The rhythm of how we think out yeah, loud almost yeah. and how we talk to each other. Um, that's something that I feel like is constantly evolving and hopefully improving and I feel like needs to continue to get better. Yeah, I also, last thing I wanted to talk about really was the, um, you know, life away from baseball. Like, so much has changed in your life since last time you were on the road for 162 games. And I was curious about, is it more challenging today, like, balancing, like, the work life, handling that balance than it was, like, when you were playing? Um, you know what, I'm not sure yet because... My family just got out two weeks ago, and we, we just moved into our house, and we moved to the East Coast for year-round, and mm-hmm. we're living here now. But it, that's just started to happen. That's mm-hmm. just happened. So I went through a, you know, they came out for two weeks in spring training. They were out for opening day, but I didn't see them for six or eight weeks. So that was a little different. But yeah. now they're here. And so you need to ask me that question in a few months. Like, what's... What's the rhythm of all that? And I don't know yet because we're kind of getting settled in and finding our groove on that. Now, you've talked a bit about growing up around baseball stadiums. Do you envision your kids growing up similarly, really? Um, well, my three boys are, I mean, not older, probably yeah. not, but, you know, my youngest boy turns 13 tomorrow. So we got 13, 13, and 16. So they're kind of. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I hope and imagine that they'll be, be at the ballpark a lot and around. And, um, and my daughter turns nine in a couple weeks. So hopefully, uh, you know, there are presents here and around and get to experience it and, and hopefully in some way love it like I do. But I'll let that happen, how it happens. Yeah. Um, I was also curious about how, like, you know, whenever you're in your mid, you enter your mid-30s, like, every doctor's visit becomes, like, you know, a little anxious about it. And, you know, thinking about what you went through when you were 36, like, All right. you had the surgery. I was wondering, like, does it, did that change your, your, your worldview almost or, like, the way you live your life, like, undergoing, like, such major surgery? 
such a young age? I don't think so. You know, I was, I was actually very much at ease going through it. You know, I have a strong faith, so I, I kind of believe it's in God's hands, and whatever the plan rolled out is, is the plan. And so I, I wasn't overly anxious about it. Maybe sharpens perspective a little bit, mm-hmm. and sharpens maybe the appreciation you have certainly for people close to you. And I, I would say the coolest thing about that time was the amount of people, friends, family, people across the baseball world, across the country that reached out to me in some way, shape, or form was very humbling and very, very cool for me. So that time was, in, in some way, I had an appreciation for the time just because you know, I saw a lot of warmth come my way, and I was, I was, I was appreciative of that. Yeah, you, you, that was your last season. You came back. I came after back that. and played in September. Yeah. yeah. Was that was was that always going to be the last season? You think, or did that kind of make it, you? It might have been. Okay. I think it was. It was coming coming around. So I think it's possible that might have been the last season. But you know, and I was with Houston. I mean, my first year with that organization. So then, and the way they treated me was amazing mm-hmm. um so it, it was just i kind of felt the love if you will okay. from so many different places and it was that was that was kind of inspiring you tweeted 12 and a half thousand times but only nine times since you got hired Have 12 you, and a half 12.5 k i saw it wow and um, nine since? and nine since you <laughs> did you delete the app off your phone do you just lurk now like um no i, I have the app i just I kind of made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to, like, I'll get on and use Twitter for the information. You'll lurk. I lurk, <laughs> but I I kind of stay away from the notifications to me just because I know where that, I know where that goes, even as a broadcaster. Did you look at them when you were a broadcaster? When I was a broadcaster, I would. So, but as a broadcaster, you can kind of engage in that stuff. Yeah. And you can have some back and forth. But I, I knew when I took this job that that would be different. So I knew <laughs> I needed to stay away from that. So I stay. So I kind of stay away from mm-hmm. Twitter, for the most part, other than when I get on and read the people that I follow. Right. And it kind of catches me up news wise right. and stuff like that. So and I still use it. A cake oh, nine times. Nine times. So yeah. I'm sure Once I'll a month tweet so. every now and then when, or and I still Instagram some things. Every yeah, now and then. I, I was gonna say you've been um, a little more like prolific I, on Instagram. Yeah, I take pictures and every now and then I'll post something on there and yeah, I like. So I, I'll probably kind of use it like this, where I just kind of every now and then send something out. Okay. I wanted to ask about a few times you've kind of um, one time you got ejected and you also kind of like were pretty vocal like when that Red Sox fight happened in April there was also the uh, ESPN thing I was just wondering like when you express your anger I'm sure you get angry more you've been angry more than three times but those <laughs> are the, you know what I mean but like when do you is that something where like you decide this is important enough for me to demonstrate my dis- my that I'm angry about something or is it more just like it's pretty organic expression? and just, okay. you know I'm reacting in the heat of the moment you know hopefully and hopefully always under control and, mm-hmm. and in a measured way but you know I think the competition brings that out sometimes and and I feel like sometimes that is my role to stand up and be heard a little bit and so I I guess pick my spots but I wouldn't say I consciously go into something like I'm gonna get mad at this or right. get fired up about this right. I feel like that has to happen organically because right. like I mean having watched the games like uh, and I mean, even when you were playing, like, you know, well, I mean, the broadcaster is the one who says it's like, oh, he did that to fire up the team. Oh. Like, the team needs a spark, you know, yeah, lit, no. lit underneath them or something. Um, and one last thing, went back and I looked, April 20th, you guys lost the game to Toronto, dropped to 9-9, nine and nine, seven and a half games back of Boston, three weeks into the season. I know it's like early. Was there any, like, I don't want to say panic, cause that's ridiculous to panic in April, but was there any... Did you think, like, we can let this slip away from us? Was there any thought about that, or was it like... No, not at all. You know, I felt like we had a lot of... We had a lot of stuff happen that first couple of weeks. Just, we had the Baltimore game where we, we had some guys get injured and right. go down and some extra innings things, and we just were kind of finding our way a little bit. And I, I more looked at it as, oh, we're 9-9, nine and, nine and we're, 
we're kind of weathering the storm mm -hmm. right now in a lot of ways. And so I, I, in some ways I felt like oh, we're hanging in there right now when it's could be getting away from us. So mm -hmm. I, in a lot of ways, felt okay about it. Hi, this is Chad Green. You don't have to wait for the first pitch to get caught up on some of the best stories by your 27-time world champion Yankees. Subscribe to and download the Yankees Magazine podcast by visiting yankees.com slash podcast. Okay, welcome back. How about Dylan Chances, guys? He's been pretty good so far, for the most part. What do you think? <laughs> can, can we just talk about the Tyro for a second? I mean... You look at these guys in the bullpen, and it's like, oh, my God, Donald Batances is broken. And then, like, two weeks later, it's like, oh, my God, Donald Batances is incredible again. And you know, like, look, we're going to get another week where Donald Batances is broken. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just... It happens. Man, does that, is that not a job that I would ever want? <laughs> Donald Batances has been through so much, I feel like, every year. It's just, like, he's amazing. He was four consecutive All-Star games. And then he kind of imploded a little bit last year and then struggled a little bit out of the gate this year. And then this, these past, like, month and a half or whatever it was, two months, he's been an incredible all-star caliber player again. It's I, I don't know the kind of mental fortitude that you have to have to be in the bullpen, one, in the Yankees' bullpen, too, and just in New York in general. But he seems to have mastered it. And we have a story in the August issue of Yankees Magazine that talks a little bit about that. I think one of the lessons that we learned with Dylan Batances is if you have a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, you should throw it more often. <laughs> <laughs> it would help. It's helpful, yeah. But it's so funny because at the same time, I mean, it's what makes this bullpen so interesting is that, you know, you have Batances, who's got that crazy fastball, and, you know, just a real, real solid, I don't know whether you want to call it exactly, uh, curve or curve slider. Or slider. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's probably a slur. Just a nasty breaking um, ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then, okay, so... Great, so you su survive that. Like, let's talk about Aroldis Chapman, who's got a little bit more heat, and then just an even crazier slider. And maybe you're actually facing Zach Britton, who's got, you know, a ball that's just going to die <laughs> when it gets about 10 feet from the plate, and good luck trying to track that. And it that still because... goes like 95 miles an yeah. hour. I mean, and, and, oh, Chad Green? Okay, he'll throw 97 at you, 98. You know, there's just, it's, it's remarkable. But yeah, for Dallin to keep doing what he's doing, I mean, there was always this, like, sense that, you know, as, as much as Yankees fans loved and admired Mariano Rivera, that they somehow didn't understand how marvelous Mariano Rivera was. Mm -hmm. um, they started to take for granted that, you know, a pitcher can work out of the bullpen for this many years with the exact same reputation and just never, like, lose it. But you don't see... Like, even what Batanzas is doing just over five seasons is remarkable. Yeah, you just don't see that relief pitchers are too volatile. No, I was yeah. looking at his baseball reference page just before we were recording this, and I was like, oh, my God, this is an incredible reliever who has had unbelievable success. And it's just like every once in a while, it's rough for him. So, it's, But if you look at the entire body of work that he has done in just five years, the rates are incredible. Yeah, I mean, the strikeouts are outrageous. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you... Yeah, Thomas, you're right. I mean, because the fastball is just so strong. And, and, and when he seems to have control problems is when he's going away from it for the most part. And when it's, you know, it seems like there's just a don't swing mentality coming from the hitters. And he, you know, the joke was always, you know, Rivera, people said, don't swing because it's a ball. And Rivera would just say, like, please, I beg you, don't swing. Like, you'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think with Batonsis, he does get into these modes where batters say, we're not going to swing. And he lets it, he, lets, he doesn't right. react and right. he lets them win that way. It's crazy to think about how far he's come. And like, um, we were here last last year in the postseason. I forgot which game it was, where the Yankees were up six zip or something in the ninth inning, and he was essentially mop up duty. He was the they, were last guy. they were trying to fix him. Yeah, yeah. during the playoffs, yeah. <laughs> and he came in and he walked like two guys in a row and got basically basically booed off the mound mm -hmm. in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Or was it Keen? It was a yes. You're right. And then, you know, we see the game on Sunday night, you know, which was which is a pretty painful loss. But I mean, um, you know, Tanaka pitched, you know, was stellar, but, you know, couldn't give them five innings. And then you see the way the bullpen was set up. And it was like, you know, Britain was the seventh, Batances was the eighth and um, Chapman's the ninth. And for Batances to be, you know, solidifying that eighth inning role, like ahead of guys like 
Britain, who was the best reliever in baseball two or three years ago, and ahead of yeah, Robertson, Robertson and Robertson. Chad, Chad Green. Green you know. know, yeah, it's crazy how far he's come, and you know, where like you were saying about these guys, you know, having problems for a week or two. His problems lasted like a month or two, and then they get fixed, and it's like, you know, this guy when he's right is, you know, has been one of the ten best relievers in baseball the last five years. If you know, you look at his entire body of work, as you said. Yeah, and the story that we have in Yankees Magazine this month, pitching coach Larry Rothschild said that he's got the best breaking ball he's ever seen when it's right, and one of the best fastballs he's ever seen when it's right. And to That's put right. them together, <laughs> it's an unhittable pitcher. He's an interesting dude, too. I mean, he's obviously a quiet guy, um, despite how big he is. I've never, ever gotten the impression that the way the Yankees bullpen is constructed phases him. Because the fact of the matter is, for whatever it's worth, he has never officially had, you know, from opening day through close of the season, a closer's role. I mean, he has been had times when he has been the closer. And yet, despite that, he's been to four straight all-star games until this year. So obviously it didn't matter for him. But, you know, you've never seen this idea from him of, like, I want the ninth inning. I'm the closer. I think part of that is because they're always, you know, the whole time he's been here, was, you know, Robertson was right. you know, there originally, and then it was, you know, Andrew Miller and Roldis Chapman, and mm-hmm. then it was Andrew Miller, and then it was Chapman again. And, yeah, I mean, it, he just seems to have fit really well into this role of, you know, yeah, the eighth inning or whatever it is. Like, when that high leverage moment comes in, I want the ball then. Uh, and it's worked, and I think a lot of that has to do with the time he spent sitting next to CC, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, it's been a real great influence on him, but it's just, just a solid dude. Really, you know, over five years in this clubhouse, just been a pretty interesting, consistent, good guy to have around. Definitely. And when, when things did go bad, it's just like you mentioned how, how he is such a large human being. It's like when you pitch and like one little thing goes off with your mechanics, especially when you're that large, it's like a lot easier for, for something to be off. And Thomas, you know, you mentioned in the last segment that it was a young team. And you almost forget with Batonsis because, you know, he has like a baby voice almost. He's just such a quiet. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not just saying like quiet and he talks quiet. It's also just a very mellow tone to him. But like he's basically a veteran on this team, even though like I think at least I still kind of weirdly think of him as this like young, you know, hotshot pitcher on this team. But he's not. I mean, he's what, 31? Yeah, I, I, st- I still it's hard for me to believe that he's like 31 years old or 30 years old because I still look at him like this 26 year old like young guy he just came up and he's doing this great job he's been here five years but I think he wears the role well is what I'm trying to say I I think that even if like you know I sometimes struggle to think of him as you know the veteran that he really actually is technically yeah I think that he actually does a great job with that and you could see in the way you know the relievers like that whole group just works together at this point so well again maybe for a long time we thought he was like a beneficiary of that but Mm -hmm. I'm starting more and more to think he's a cause of that for sure I think he's he's established himself as a reliever as a solid Yankees you know player he came up through the system he's had success long ride through the system he's had success in this clubhouse He's learned from guys like CeCe Sabathia, like Mariano Rivera, David Robertson. Like, he was around these guys as he was coming up. So he knows what it it means and what it's like. And I think people, whether we see it or not, I think the younger guys in the clubhouse and the pitchers all do gravitate, not necessarily to him, but together. And he's got the experience to to say there's certain things that maybe they don't know. Yeah, let's not forget, like, this guy, like, you were talking about how it's a long road through the system. You know, in 2011 or so, like, this guy was supposed to be, he was part of the Killer Bees with Manny Bonuelos <laughs> and Andrew Brackman. And, yep. and um, you know, they were going to form the backbone of the ro- Yankees rotation for the next, like, five to ten years. And <laughs> things didn't work out like that. But, I mean, for, really him to, for, for him to, like, just come back and, and you know, have the career he's had so far is, is, is kind of amazing. Because, you know, like, saying goes that most relievers are failed starters, but... This guy like really bombed out of a star- as a starter. I don't know if I'm not mistaken, he had like an eight ERA or something yeah. like, like one season, and uh, you know he's been phenomenal for the last five years in the pen. But it really it also gets to you know the story that I, like I said I'm working on right now. I think 
this idea that relievers are failed starters, I think, I don't know, maybe that is always going to be true to some degree, but it's just so interesting right now to see what it means to be a middle reliever at this point, because what is middle relief? Like, the Yankees don't have a real actual middle reliever right mm-hmm. now. Every single person in the Yankees' bullpen right now. is a high leverage reliever. Right. Right. And so, you know, I was talking to Chad Green about it, and I was just, you know, I'm not, there's no way to ask this without being offensive, considering what your role is, so... You know, the idea was a relief pitcher, a middle reliever, is a failed starter and a failed closer. Like, it's it's someone who couldn't do either one of them, so they give you the sixth or seventh inning. But, like, on this Yankees team, the sixth or seventh inning is going to a guy who's just crazy, crazy. You know, you you talk about the, you know, the seventh inning is this guy, and the eighth inning is this guy, and the ninth inning is this guy. Like, there aren't enough innings for the guys the Yankees have. I mean, if you do seven, eight, nine. like, legitimate closers. Yeah, if you do seven, eight, nine, you're leaving out one of the Yankees' four closers. Mm -hmm. And that says nothing of, you know, Chad Crane. It's just a bizarre situation that Boone has at his disposal right now. And I don't think it's sustainable for every team to build a bullpen like this, but I think it's going to be interesting to see as the few teams every year that really start from March thinking about October, and certainly at the trade deadline thinking about October, I think we're going to see for at least a couple more years this interesting little race to just get these crazy relievers into one space. But, I mean, you talk about sustainability, like you have to think money as well. I... That's what know, I was not asking. every team can have David Robertson, who's making eleven million dollars, be like. Well, it helps when four. yeah, it <laughs> helps when you have other guys who just aren't making that much in your bullpen right. who are doing crazy. But it's funny. I was asking in the same conversation with Green. I was kind of talking to him just about is this money going to change at some point? You know, because the Yankees have built this thing here where you know this bullpen is just so loaded, but there's still the reality that it's the closer that gets the money. Mm-hmm. But does that? How do, does that formula work when you have this bullpen? Can it? I don't know. Like, I, I mean, don't can, know. Are you going to start seeing teams investing, you know, multi-million dollars into whatever the term middle reliever actually means anymore, but into these pitchers? I think it depends on the next two or three years because, I mean, if starters are going to be only counted on to take two turns through the order, how can you justify giving a starting pitcher 20 25 yeah, million dollars if they have a 100 100 pitch ca- if they have like a cap if they're capped at 100 pitches and can basically only face like unless they're rolling they can only face like 18 to 20 guys in a game you look at the numbers you know complete games and all that but if if you're you're not going to pay starters 20 million dollars if this is their role now moving forward and that money is going to be allocated to not just closers, I think, but to like everyone in the bullpen. But so I guess then my question becomes: Then relievers are still the most volatile property in the game, yeah. and mm-hmm. how can how can you invest in something? I mean, like this is no knock on the guy, but you know, last year you couldn't find a more compelling, crazy, interesting, fascinating Yankees reliever than Tommy Kingley, who's been a Triple A pitcher for basically this entire year, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer to that question is, John. I don't know, especially because, like you said, people are building for October now and October is so different than the entire regular season I don't know if it's sustainable to do this long term in, in my opinion I don't think it makes any sense but are we gonna know? are we gonna be giving like we as I mean our front office is gonna gonna be giving out like three-year 24 million dollar contracts to like middle relievers or non closes like the like the what do you think Chad Green's first post-arb contract should be yeah I don't know what you give a guy like Chad Green first of all you have to see how the next couple of years go, but I think he you he would want at least three years, like fifteen million dollars, don't you think? I think three or fifteen million dollars for Chad Green would be a bargain. I, I I just I don't know if that's money the Yankees should spend on him based on how their team is built, but yeah, like I think that 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 seems like that seems not only does that seem like a bargain to me, but that just seems to you know further this question of you know how are we valuing middle relief because. You know, I think there's arguments that what Chad Green is doing is just more valuable than that amount of money. Well, you look at like, are you saying three or fifteen per? Or 15? oh God, no, not okay, 15. yeah, no, I'm <laughs> fifteen total. Yeah, I mean five million a year for. Yeah. Tech, I don't, I don't think that that is. I, I it's think be crazy how agents are going to yeah, like fine. now look at it in arbitration <laughs> and like how you're going to value like middle guys versus closers. Like, just it's all it has yeah, to change. I mean, it just has to change. If the t- if the game if the game and if specifically October is going to be continue to be run this way, that has to change. So I wonder. I mean, I don't know. You know, you look five years, ten years, as you mentioned. I mean, this is a different game now than it was then in terms of how this stuff is happening. And I know that we're we've lost the point on Tons <laughs> a little bit here, but you know, I just. Th- 
that is such a rapid change in the way things are going that either it just becomes like a little blip or the game has to fundamentally change the salary structure to make this work. I don't think that's out of the question. I think five, ten years from now, it's going to be a completely different brand of baseball than yeah. what we're seeing. And the so. Rays are already trying to play a different brand. Yeah. The Rays are they, literally they don't have any trying pitchers. to play a different brand of baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, yeah. Every sport changes so much. It was, I had this conversation a few years ago about how the NFL is so different than it was like in the 90s in the NBA like just the style of play like how the NFL is just so much more like of an aerial game now and the NBA is so much more like high pick and roll with you know three point shooters around and even hockey changed a lot after they um, abolished the trap, the, the trap. Mm-hmm. and like baseball it seemed was like the same game from like when I was a kid up until like it feels like three four years ago it's just like changed so abruptly and it's been accelerated like, like, like you just said like the Rays and the fact that you know starting pitchers now it's like you hear it on every broadcast it's like the, the, every time a starting pitcher goes into the sixth inning let alone like the seventh or eighth they show the graphic about first time through the order second time through the order and the numbers don't lie like it's very rare where a guy maintains a high level um you know three times through an order so um, i'm sure your story is going to touch on that next month about like the yeah, again, you know, Thomas, you talk a lot about the shift. And, <laughs> you know, it's one of, it, Ongoing I, conversation. I am very anti-shift. <laughs> but, we, you know, it, it just becomes this thing where it's like, I mean, I, I'm laughing because this is the stuff that I press us about when we're just sitting in our cubicles. But, like, at what point do you say the game has perfected the information system right. and therefore it's responding accordingly versus, and maybe it was a little more fun before we had this perfected you know you could use the example of instant replay where maybe it was a little more fun when we didn't have to sit there and look if a guy's leg you know came off second base for a second and we just assumed that he was safe or assumed that he was out you know but i tend to you know yeah sure you hit you see the ball hit and you expect it to go through the hole and there's a person there that annoys you when you're watching it but at the same time it's like <laughs> well what do you expect them to do if they know where the ball's gonna be put a guy there it would be, it would be uncouth <laughs> to have three people it would just be like yeah, it, 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 you know, I mean, like it'd we, be we vulgar back, to have three people on one side of the infield. We go back and forth about it, and you know, I mean, I, I, I certainly am more bellicose in, in these conversations than I am being right now. But it's not that I don't understand it; it's just I don't know how you fight it. Like right. if we're seeing that Major League Baseball players are more successful if you don't dare let them pitch to a batter for a third time, then you can sure stand in your soapbox and begrudge the lack of complete games and all and the lack of the Ironman and all these things. But it's just like, so what's the virtue of chasing that though, when you're seeing that it's not working and what's the virtue of saying you can't stand here on the field when you right. know the ball's going to be hit there. But at the same time with the starting pitchers though, and with the bullpen, like bullpen guys get burned out and like you see it for sure. And a bullpen guy blowing one inning looks a lot worse than a starter having one bad inning out of six. Right. Yeah, right. that's true. And that's why we have 13 pitchers on the roster now, and the, <laughs> the Scranton shuttle is you know, working overtime. Well, So this has been a great conversation about Dylan Batanzas. I'm, I'm glad we talked about Dylan. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> anyway, Dylan is, if there's a story about Dylan in the August issue, I'm sure we peaked your interest. <laughs> it's on sale now. You can check it out online too, yankees.com slash magazine. And if you want to talk to us about the shift or, you know, insane bullpens or anything, check us out on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Email us podcast at yankees.com. And thanks for listening to us. We appreciate it. Like, subscribe, rate, review. You. All, that. all that you know we like it all thanks guys we'll talk soon bye Cheers.